Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here with John Pigeon. And today we are asking the question, are you a little bit too lazy to do the research? Are you a bit too lazy to be out and about searching for properties, traipsing through open homes on a Saturday and trying to work out what on earth is actually going on? Maybe you're not actually lazy. Maybe you simply just don't have the time. And let's be honest, time is one thing that we struggle to make more of, or it's almost impossible to make more of unless you outsource something. Thing. I mean, you're hungry, you order Uber Eats, someone brings it to you, you want to buy a property, you want that property delivered by someone who knows what they're on about. I don't know if that analogy makes sense, but we're going to roll with it. <laughs> we're going to unpack property professionals, when is a good time to use them, how to use them, and I guess some key identifiers on establishing what sets apart a good one from a great one. So let's get into it. Good word, traipsing. Traipsing, yeah. Yes, to to walk reluctantly, it's called. Oh, they, did you Google that in the meantime? Oh, I, I googled it. <laughs> I googled it in the break. Yeah, look, it's a common theme out there in general life. I think, isn't it? It's like we we sometimes want to take the easy or most efficient option to get something done. And and so many people come to me, and and they would come to you saying the same things. I'm a I'm an engineer, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a nurse. That's what I'm good. At. At. That's what, what I'm going to continue to be good at and I'm going to outsource the rest of my life, whether that be building a house, whether it be getting a buyer's agent, whether it be using an accountant, whether it be using a solicitor to draw up contracts or create wills. Like We just can't be an expert in all fields, can we? Yeah, you can't be a jack of all trades. Jack of all trades, master of none, as the saying goes. And mm. yeah, we do live in a culture where we Outsource and outsourcing is very accepted. And I think the mindset of someone who does outsource is someone who is very clear on where their strengths lie and outsources the rest. I'm all for it. I do a lot of it in my personal life and I know a lot of millennials who are of that mindset and I think it's a great way to be. The question then begs, how do you ensure you're outsourcing to the right person for what you want? Yeah, that's right. And and we before we go into that, uh, it's it's like a I feel it's like a shield of armor where you've got protection in all areas. You you've, you know you've got this base covered. You've got this corner of your life covered because you've got an expert in the in the corner that specializes in that on a daily weekly level. Some people can't get their head around the cost of outsourcing that. But I firmly believe that they pay for it down the track in some way, shape or form, much more than what they would have if they'd outsourced and paid for a professional's help in the first place. An example of that is me trying to paint a house and I painted one in August and I shouldn't have done it and next time I'm definitely going to employ a painter and get them to do it because that's what they do on a regular basis. You're way too busy to be painting houses, John. I think you've got other activities that would be more dollar productive than painting a house. 
<laughs> and as someone close to me said, i.e. my wife, what is your per hour worth? Mm. And it's not use of good time painting a house. So any case, that was just my personal example, but I hear it every day. And if we haven't got the mindset to pay that sort of money, and it's got to be reasonable, it's got to be um, reasonable amount spent for uh, reward gained, it, it needs to be factored into what we're doing. For sure. Now, this whole episode's come about for because we've sort of culminated a series of questions that came through in a recent Facebook post I put up asking for your questions. Now, Daniel Quinn asked the question, using a buyer's agent, aka I am too lazy to do the research and I'd rather pay someone to do it so I don't make serious errors. Are they worth the cost? Question mark. Which is sort of the whole basis of this episode, right? And there's some other questions yeah. that sort of follow and deep dive more. But yeah, it's it's okay to be lazy to do the research. Not everyone wants to crunch numbers and learn about new areas. They just want to know from someone they trust, where is the best area to buy for what I want to achieve? What does that property look like? And can you go and get it for me? Yeah. And it, it I think we said at the start, it may not be lazy. It might just be I'm doing something else and I don't want to prioritize it because it's not an interest of mine or a specialty. I don't have the time. So there's many reasons as to why we would use one. But to ask whether it's worth the cost, a lot of outsourcing and a lot of professionals, it's really hard to actually understand what the what it was worth. Mm. And what are we judging that on? Is it, okay, did I... Did I get a discount because I um, engaged in a buyer's agent? Did I get an off-market property that enabled me to get a, a better deal? Um, did I prevent buying an absolute dud that wasn't going to perform? None of that is we, – we can't really quantify what it is worth. Yeah, and I think there also comes into play the experience piece as well. You know, there's often uh, professions that charge hundreds of dollars for 20 minutes of their time, but it's not the 20 minutes you're paying for. It's all the hours that they have done and all the training they've done to be Mm. able to do what they do in the 20 minutes. Now, I'm not saying you use a buyer's agent in 20 minutes, but, you know, for example, like a dentist, they've been through a lot of training. You'd always get a big dental bill at the end, but, you know, you want someone who knows what they're doing when you go to the dentist. So that's also hard to quantify. Um, And also around the word cost, I would definitely see any outsourcing as an investment. Yes, Yes. you know, there is a dollar tag attached to it, but it's an investment. And I think even just shaping a mindset around the fact that that is what it is uh, can be um, a bit of an aha moment in the process as well. Yeah, totally. And you talk there about you're paying for the, the years of experience and the what's been built up over that journey for that person to have that amount of knowledge to be able to empower on to you uh, to, to get the job done as a buyer's agent uh, in any industry. And I was in personal training for a while and it was rogue with eight-week course to be a personal trainer, let's go in and charge $70 an hour versus someone that's done a, ex, a degree in exercise science who's been doing it 20 years charging $70 an hour also, right? Which one am I going to go to? Well, of course, I'm going to go to someone who's had the experience and that's where the worth is. So it's understanding what you prioritize and what you value. So is it, it's going to save me time? Is it 
it's going to save me buying the wrong type of property? Is it going to be provide me less stress because I don't know what my strategy is or what it should be? Uh, there's a whole range of things. So you need to understand why you're engaging someone in the first place that you can't do it yourself. Yeah, number of factors that do go into ascertaining the value overall. It is one of those things though where you kind of can't quantify it until the transaction's complete. Like you can't sort of preempt yes. what you're going to feel is valuable. Um, but I know a lot of people who have used buyer's agents um, sort of go, well, I wouldn't buy without one again. And I think that's a key indicator of where they see value is that they it was straightforward, they got a great result, save them time, possibly save them money as well. And so they would, you know, repeat that process again. And that's kind of the ultimate uh, testimonial, I guess, of your experience that um, mm. you feel satisfied at the end. Absolutely. So, so going back to Daniel's question, we're, we're not saying, is it worth the cost? Is it worth the investment? I would say to Daniel, well, why can't you do it alone? His response is, I'm too lazy to do the research or in, in other terms, I don't have enough of an interest or a passion to go and do the research. Could he go and do the research himself if he had an interest and get a result for him? Absolutely he could. Do we know if that result's going to be better than using a buyer's agent at the start? Probably not. We'll know in five years or 10 years' time based on what his strategy need to be um, to begin with. Yeah, correct. Also, just want to touch on there's a bit of a misconception in using uh, a buyer's agent or a buyer's advocate that you have to have a certain purchase price to use one. It just made me th- I just was looking through some other questions and it just made me think to clarify that your purchase price really shouldn't dictate whether you do or don't use one because the process is the same regardless of the purchase price. However, if your reference point has been the media or even shows on TV that have advocates bidding you know, on really large purchases, really big properties or really even big investments, you might have this sort of myth in your head that you can only use one if you're buying a lot of property or um, buying a property that is a really high purchase price. And that's really not the case. There's so many advocates and uh, buyers agents that buy properties, you know, circa 500K is their sort of go-to price point um, and people happily engage them to do that. So just be aware that uh, don't rule yourself out of being able to use one based on your purchase price is what I'm trying to say. I think a lot of people do that. Yeah, absolutely they do. And I think the what, what I tend to see is if someone's buying their first property, they've they've taken a considerable amount of time to come up with a deposit. And if it is a smaller, a lower price point, if it's say, I don't know, three hundred thousand, and they've they've worked hard to save their thirty grand plus stamps, whatever it might be, or or sixty grand, to then come up with another ten, fifteen k as a buyer's advocate or buyer's agent, is just not possible unless they save for another six months, right? So I do get that side of it. Absolutely. That's different from the mindset of saying, I'm not prepared to use a buyer's agent because my purchase price is only 400000 Yeah, correct. So 
One of the benefits of, I guess, using particularly a buyer's agent who is investor focused. Now, just to clarify, John is a lot more investor focused than I am. I'm more of the emotional, touchy-feely stuff to do with home buying and holding your hand through the process and finding properties in a very specific area. John and his team at Envisage are a lot more on the ground in multiple areas buying investment properties and being a bit more investor focused. So, one of the benefits of um, looking at an investment advocate who actually buys across multiple states flows into a question from Adrian around, uh, is there a better state to buy in when you consider things like tax and stamp duty? Um, Someone who is a great buyer's agent would be across all those uh, nuances in the different markets that could benefit the investor or hinder um, the investor in their purchase. So, there's a lot of things you have to know, right? in your space, John, you really have to be across a lot of legislation. You do. And you need to have a lot of different reference points like ABS. You need your centre starter. You need your your local council regulations and your, and your state amendments. Um, you need to understand all of the micro indicators that we look like, look for when we're buying property across a whole range of areas. So it does take a lot of time to do that. But I suppose once you understand certain areas and once you've been in those locations for long enough, you, you already know the basics and the foundation of that particular area, but you then just keep up to date with the trends and what's happening like your days on market and your, and your number of properties under offer and, and what the median prices are doing and what's selling and, and all those sort of things. But uh, I suppose the, the good thing about looking across multiple states, multiple locations is you get to see compared to what. And that's the, that's the, massive benefit that I see is that when we're looking at, I don't know, let's say, a, let's say Wagga and we buy something in Wagga for 500,000, that's a three bedroom, two bath, two car on 500 squares. Where else can I buy that of similar populated town with an airport and a university? And, and that gives me uh, a, a litmus test for, okay, is this good buying or is it overpriced or is it underpriced and based on the heat of the market as to whether I uh, go and research in that area or not. So there's a a whole range of things that you you almost can't put down on paper. If you were to write a book on it, it's really hard to to actually write, these are the steps I'd go through and I'm I'm training some buyers agents at the moment and I'm doing my best to get out of my head and into their heads just the way we go about it. And, and sometimes you, you can't fast track experience and, and you need to get your hands dirty. And that's why I love giving them these action steps and, um, and little projects to say, right, go and research this area. Tell me what you're finding. And then we'll come back and, and spitball that. So if you've really got a passion for property, you can do that. But you can't do that if you're just simply looking in one suburb or two suburbs in your little patch. Yeah, I was going to ask you a follow-up question from that around, you know, being an investor-driven advocate or buyer's agent, is there sort of a sweet spot of the minimum number of areas that you would cover? Like ideally, how many would you be covering at any one time to make sure an investor's getting a diverse uh, spread of choice where they could put their money? Yeah, look, we're probably at the minute, and it obviously depends on the clients and the price point. Um, we've, we look at price points around the country and say, or not 
not in every state, by the way. Um, but we look at and say, right, if we've got a million dollar client, where are the best three locations in Australia to put them right now? If we've got an 800k client, where are they going to be? If 600, 400, etc. And if we've got someone that needs 4% yield, this is where we're going. This. If, we've, if they need 5% gross yield, this is where we're going to, to um, shortlist to. So where it's not a case of let's just identify a location and let's put everyone into that location and just hope it works out okay. It's marrying up the, the client's brief and what we think their strategy should be with a number of locations and then shortlisting it from there. Yeah. And just before we go to a break, I just want to touch on something I was just thinking of as you were speaking then around if someone's outsourcing this process and they're placing the trust in a buyer's agent to get the right property in the right location for their budget, that may well be in an area they've never heard of before, they've never been to before, um, and it could be completely out of the state that they're even from. It might not even be driving distance for them. Um, and this is not me interviewing you, but I'm asking you a couple of questions. <laughs> In your experience, how important is it that people remove a barrier of investing where they know? Yeah, that, that's a really good one. And that's another episode on itself because it's it, it comes down to risk profile. Yes. And we, I chat with my team every Monday morning and we chat about these different things. I'm, I'm experiencing a client that's doing this, this and this and I've got one who's doing that and whatever else and we can spitball these things which is powerful. But at the end of the day, they're the one that's buying the property. We've put the research to them, we've created the strategy for them and we've presented let's say three or four different locations. Now they're organically going to say one of two things, yeah I'd like this town or suburb over the other three, let's go with that or I wouldn't have a clue, you're the expert, I'll buy where you tell me to buy sort of thing. And that's a high risk profile. It's like, well, I'm, I'm borderless as an investor, doesn't bother me where we go, um, whereas others will have some sort of barriers because that's just the way they're, they're uh, wired and, and that's their sleep at night factor. So understanding the risk profile of the individual long before we start their strategy is, is really key. So circling back on Daniel's question around are they worth the in cost, which we've now changed to, are they worth the investment? because that's what we think it should be. <laughs> that's right. Is that in itself being in a completely different state potentially, having a team on the ground that, you know, that's not you having to fly there, get accommodation, go and see the property would also yeah. be one of those things that come into investing in a BA um, when you are buying. So lots of things to consider in this. We've got a bit more to unpack. We're going to take a quick moment and we'll be right back with you. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So before we expand more on the BA, you mentioned at the start, Emily, uh, a property professional they can come in different shapes and forms. So most people would think a property professional might actually be a real estate agent. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, So on the buying side, it's a buyer's agent. On the selling side, it's a real estate agent. But you're not really engaging. uh, You're engaging them for obviously different reasons, but one's got a different level of expertise than the other. And, And what I started 10 years ago was a property coaching business, which is neither of those. And it's a conduit to all of it. So that's for for the, for the I call them the property nerds out there that just want to absorb as much information as they can. And they're not control freaks, but they definitely want to take action, getting their own hands dirty. So that's a situation where it actually doesn't require a buyer's agent. It requires a whole bunch of knowledge using someone to fast track that knowledge and not go through and make the mistakes over a 20-year period and say, well, if I, if I knew that back then, I would have done this a lot differently. It's like a hybrid really, isn't it? The, the involvement, mm. the client is quite involved in that process, but they're leaning on totally. an expertise uh, to make sure they've got the right advice to select and purchase the right property and long-term have a great property plan in place too because they might be someone who's got multiple investments and um, need to understand how that unfolds on a financial level, investment level, all those sorts of things as well. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's like a, a traineeship over 12 months um, or that that's how mine is anyway, but I'm sure there's a lot out there that, that do offer some sort of coaching, but some people might not be comfortable with the, the words property coaching. It's like, what the hell is that? Mm. Um, because it's not as common out there as, as say a buyer's agent or a real estate agent. Yeah, correct. And I think that kind of circles round to a couple of key characteristics to be aware of when engaging a buyer's agent. And so also just side note, love a side note, buyer's agent, buyer's advocate, same thing. It's just, I'm used to saying advocate because in Melbourne, it's a lot more common where John up in New South Wales, agent is more common as the terminology. So they're one of the same. And sometimes I just say BA because it's easier because then we're covering both. So <laughs> if you're confused about the interchanging term, it's, it's they're the same. Um, sometimes I just listen to John say buyer's agent. So I roll with that for a while. <laughs> Sometimes Let's I just roll to with it. whatever we're feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is when you are selecting a buyer's agent to represent you in buying a property, there are some minimum sort of standards. Now I will say and preface this, and I think John will agree with me and feel free to disagree, but the industry does need a little bit more regulation around it. Um, it's a little bit loose at the moment. And the reason for that is, or at least I think the reason is, 
It's not as common as a real estate agent and it's certainly nowhere near as common as the US model where pretty much everyone engages help to purchase a property. They have a professional on their side. In Australia, particularly uh, because it's a relatively new concept to the majority, whilst buyers agents are involved a lot more in purchasing and the percentage of purchases with one of them involved is getting higher and higher, it would still be well and truly under 10%. And because of that, I don't think there's been enough of an industry movement to then have a baseline of uh, education specific to a buyer's agent. Bit of an insight is in order to be a buyer's agent, and I think John would have had to do the same, I had to get a full real estate license, but everything I learned in the real estate license was all to do with being a real estate agent, not a buyer's agent. So it kind of felt like I was, you know, doing, a, going through a process to get accredited, but I didn't even feel super accredited in what I was about to do. So there is a little bit of a gap uh, in education. And I think we will see some reform and some benchmarks um, to come in the next maybe three to five years, I'd guess. But at this moment in time, there are some key criteria to tick off when you're engaging someone to make sure you're getting a a good standard. The first one would be, actually, before I go into it, John, do you agree with what I've said? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I do agree, Emily. And I think uh, I used the personal trainer reference, the whole get a a certificate in eight weeks and go and charge 70 an hour. it's not too dissimilar in the buyer's agent space where uh, you do have to work under someone once you get that real estate certificate. The real estate certificate gives you next to nothing in the terms of knowledge to become a buyer's agent. Um, I would encourage getting a mortgage broking certificate just to understand the finances structure as well. Um, But that's the dangerous thing about any industry. When you can go and get a qualification in eight, 12 weeks, or work at your own pace and do it online in in two days. That's a concern for me and and that presents issues now but down the track. And if people can see, oh, yeah, I I could be a buyer's agent in three months um, and charge X amount, then that's when the industry goes rogue, doesn't it? So there needs to be, uh, like anything, some some changes to be made there, but it's a long old process to, to overhaul something like that versus somewhere like, okay, I want to be a teacher. You need to go to university for four, four years. Yeah, it was a lot more involved to become a teacher, probably you and I both, hey, to get our qualification to be in education than it was to be a BA. Yeah, but the same thing, like, you know, as a teacher, you get the most experience and, and knowledge from actually going in, into the classroom and, and working with 30 rugrats. Mm. Whereas buyer's agent, no different. If you haven't bought and sold property yourself, that's, that's a red flag and I'm sure we'll get to this stuff. But uh, if you haven't done a lot of that, then that's lack of experience and knowledge. And if you didn't get it in your training or education to get your degree or certificate, then we've got a, got a concern. Yeah, for sure. So in terms of some markers of sort of minimum standards, number one, they obviously have to be a registered agent. And that may come in, come in the form of a full license if they're a solo operator, or it might be in the form of like a sub-license or a little um, certificate that they've done to operate under someone who has a full license. So there would be that component. There would also be professional indemnity insurance um, would be definitely something that um, a buyer's advocate would need to operate. And then there's probably some criteria around things that are hard to measure, but questions that you can ask. 
i.e. track record, you know, where have you been buying and what results have you been getting for your clients, particularly on the investor side of things. The equivalent on more of the home buying side of things, in my opinion, would be around um, the agent relationships in the certain areas that they have to be able to get off markets quickly um, and um, have insight as to what's coming up in the market as well. And then there would also be the sort of verification check of past clients. What do their testimonials look like? Can they speak to a past client who maybe was in a similar position to them um, and have a chat with them on the phone or at least, you know, exchange a message to verify their experience? Just like you would when you're engaging any professional, you would do some key checks. And I think there's one that's probably quite immeasurable, which is do I actually get along with this person and trust this person? Because you're going to be spending a fair bit of time communicating with them, right? Totally. Yeah, it's, it's, that is a, a key one um, is to know that you can relate to that person because you are going on a journey together. So, yeah, that's, that's a key component, I think. And just back on the qualification side of things, there's also a voluntary qualification that you can do um, in the space. It's probably the only real one available, which um, I've nearly completed and John's um, company currently has, which is known as PIPA, which is Property Investment Professionals Australia. Um, And the qualification is QPIPA, which is a Qualified Property Investment Professional. Uh, And That's actually a series of modules that takes you through more on the investing side of property, um, but talks about some best practices, um, goes through some key information around, you know, state legislation, uh, government, councils, all these things that form part of your knowledge in the investment space. It's a qualification that you can, can get and go through. And, um, I think particularly on the investor side of buying property, it's a helpful one to have. Yeah, I think it's another tick box, isn't it, to know that, okay, if, I, if I'm lacking experience, um, I can go and do something like that again to fast track some of um, my experience and knowledge, uh, or not experience, but I can fast track some of my knowledge mm-hmm. so that I'm better equipped to handle clients of, of, uh, of all different uh, criteria, I suppose. So, yeah, I um, wholeheartedly, we, we need to be able to get that qualification as best we can in the most elaborate form, right? So if if, uh, if the most elaborate f- form right now is probably doing a commerce degree, mm. right, mm. and uh, or a Bachelor of Economics, right? Now that's going to take a good chunk of time out of your life, which most people would say, well, why would I when I can go and do this buyer's agent course online? But from a client point of view, who are we looking for when we employ someone to act as a buyer's agent on our behalf? I think it's a combination of experience, what have you done, how long have you been doing it, and can I relate with this team or this person as a, as a, as a group? Would you say that they're the top two? Yeah, I definitely say that they are the top two that I would be looking for as a consumer. Uh, and then I think largely the rest of it speaks for itself in terms of you know, reviews, track record, that sort of thing. You can you can deep dive into that more, but those would be the two priorities for sure. So there's probably a clear definition of what a buyer's agent or buyer's advocate really does in terms of sourcing, inspecting, negotiating properties and advising you on the best option possible. What's interesting in the space is, and when I say the space, I mean the industry of buyer's agents, 
I have seen, and this comes off the back of a question from Tom, uh, Tom has said that he's been seeing a lot of YouTube promotions um, around some summits and courses in the property space um, to look into rental cash flow more. Um, some of the titles are around how to get an Airbnb portfolio of 50 houses, how to buy 30 houses in 12 months. Tom has sort of said, well, aren't these scams and are they outdated? Uh, and also, how is this not regulated? Uh, similar to how the Finfluencers were targeted, um, and that happened sort of last year, it sounds dangerous to be following their advice. Now, I get these promotional ads all the time, probably because, and you might see them too, John, just because the nature of searching property in Google, it's, you know, it's listening to you, so it sends you stuff that you might want to see. But it's a, it's a little bit alarming that these are effectively marketing headlines to get people in. That's how I read them. It's a marketing tool. Yeah. So I think if you've got to ask yourself, where's the information coming from and what's their angle? And is it a genuine angle? Okay. So 30 houses in 12 months, is that practical? Uh, wholeheartedly, no. It's not unless we've got... Um, an untapped amount of cash at our disposal and not the ability to have to lend, okay? So if we look at that, that's a red flag straight away, right? Random people selling courses, running summits on rental cash flow, how to get an Airbnb portfolio of 50 houses. Now, as a 20-something-year-old, I would go along to those events with open eyes, and look at it and take notes and and understand the key concepts and, and try to, to look through the front and find the back end of what's actually going on here. Where are we buying it? How are we doing it? Who are the clients that have achieved these results and, and how did it come about, right? I mean, it sounds too good to be true. As we always say, it probably is. But there's a, some intrigue that says, I'm going to find out anyway. Because if there's something out there that's better than what I'm doing, I'm open for it. We just need to understand what it is and it's not just a marketing ploy to get your name and number and email address to then pump you with more marketing material to the point where I don't know any different, I'm in. My biggest question around anyone that's hosting these webinars or seminars, whatever they might be, is do they actually do this themselves? Like does the person holding this webinar own 50 Airbnbs and know what it's like on the ground to manage that and be privy yeah. to that? That's probably the key question I would be asking. And as John rightly said, go there with an open mind. You might learn something, but I think be very aware that there's a lot of marketing tactics involved in these things. And I really think this applies to really any service-based business, but recommendations from people you trust are more often than not the best way to go when it comes to engaging a professional. Getting uh, involved in these marketing ploys that sound good but maybe don't deliver could be dangerous. Um, so if it were me, even like little things like when I've gone to um, – I wanted a new chiropractor, I just asked around my neighbours like – who do you guys use? Yeah. You know, it's that, it's yeah. simple as that. Get a trusted recommendation. Yeah. Okay. So question to you, Emily, would you go to an event like this that was advertised? A free event, going to run for an hour in your local neighbourhood, would you go and sit in? I'm the sort of person who would sit there and be really like 
annoyed or like yeah. besmirking because I because I kind of know how they unfold. Um, yes. I would go there with intrigue, yes, but I'd probably only attend one and I'd be over it. Mm. So I was all over this stuff in the as I said in my twenties. Like I couldn't get enough of it, but I went in with enough knowledge and enough eyes wide open to say, well, yeah, you can have my details because I want to find out more about you, um, but I'm not going to commit to wholly and solely to investing into something until I know exactly what's going on. So I'd encourage you, everyone out there listening, not to just dismiss all of this and, and not to go and do it either, but just to go and find out about these little, um, I don't want to say scams, but... Um, uh, opportunities. <laughs> opportunities out there uh, to broaden your horizons to know what not to do. Because once you find out what not to do, it's much easier to find out what to do. That's a very valid point. And yeah, the more you filter through, the clearer it becomes when you're onto a good thing as well. Totally. Yeah. And when all of a sudden you get a, a phone call from a telemarketer talking about this, like I, my wife really makes... Uh, uh, really gets annoyed with me when I continue to talk to telemarketers and I find out what they're up to and what it is that they're trying to sell and everything else. And I, I talk to them for three or four minutes, not all the time, but when I've got a little bit of time on my sleeve and I find out some things, bits and pieces. I don't get sucked into what they're trying to do, but it's learning. And we take one thing away, like you mentioned before, we're more well-rounded to make better decisions down the track. Yeah, for sure. Just rounding out this conversation on a more specific uh, example of something that one of my Instagram followers actually put a question across this morning, Melissa. So Melissa has come across uh, a buyer's agent strategy that the marketing is largely around uh, purchasing properties in Brisbane on like a block that's large enough to subdivide with a granny flat out the back. And she specifically asked for your thoughts um, <laughs> on this. So she said that the um, company that's doing it, they've outlined their numbers on their YouTube channel. She really loves their content. Um, but what's your opinion, John, on what you think about subdividing with a granny flat on the back and what the opportunity is? Is this something that you've done yourself or have done for clients? Would you recommend it? Uh, so what, whatever the company is promoting, it's a strategy. The concern I've got is does that strategy fit you, the individual? And I spoke before about aligning strategy with client, not client to a particular strategy. And I think that's really important when you're, when you're building a portfolio is, is where we're taking all things into account, we're taking all strategies into account, and then we're shortlisting it to the right strategy that's going to work for you. So I'd ask Melissa, do you think this strategy works for you? If, if you didn't see the numbers on the page, do you think that this strategy of, uh, of house and granny flat works for you in Brisbane? Um, does this company do this alone or does it uh, offer buying existing without the granny flat? Do we not build anything? Is it just do we buy existing property or is that our niche? Do we just go and do that? So a, a company that just simply does that as a niche, I wouldn't necessarily call a buyer's agent. I'd just call that, that's what they do as a specialty, Right. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. That sounds like they're just focused on one strategy. And in order to be a proactive buyer's agent, you wouldn't just have one size fits all. Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I think there's merit in being a specialist for sure. 
but you couldn't, you'd have to be very willing to say that our strategy doesn't actually fit what you want to do. So here's another company who does what you want to do. I think that probably would be the best way forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, Melissa, I'm not trying to say that granny flats are no good, by the way. I'm just saying all strategies work, but which one does suit you as the individual? And we probably don't know that on a Facebook ad. Um, so it's again, marketing to, to, to get us in, which is great. We can follow these people and understand more about, um, different options out there. Yeah, for sure. I think we've covered off most of the questions that related to buyer's agents specifically. Is there anything you wanted to add, John, when people are looking into engaging a buyer's agent or just more generally around having a buyer's agent on your side? Look, I think as some of those who have uh, written in have have witnessed, it's a wild world out there and there's a lot of marketing going on and there'll be even more marketing when there's less clients coming through their door. So, so you've got to really strap yourself in and just keep those eyes wide open and just ask yourself, what is it that I need? What can't I do myself, and what do I think I need to outsource? And and I think you can you can navigate your way through it that way. But um, it doesn't hurt just to have a conversation with a potential buyer's agent that you're looking at, or, or even if you don't think you'll use one, it's uh, it's not bad to get a different perspective. Yeah, for sure. Can always learn something. We're always learning. Uh, yes, absolutely, we are. <laughs> That is pretty much it for today's episode. Hopefully that's given you a bit of an insight as to what to look for when engaging a buyer's agent when you would and certainly some ideas around the fact that there's a particular strategy for you uh, and getting that strategy right is really, really key in your property journey success. So thanks for tuning in today. We uh, continue to try and provide an array of content so that it gets a bit you know mixed up between Q&As and listener stories and all that sort of thing. If you have um, a particular topic you'd like us to cover, please let us know. And if it's your first time listening today, thanks, thanks for tuning in. Um, it mm. might be a lot of people do write to us and say that they listen to one and they've gone back and like started from the start, which I don't know how yes. long that would take That's to wild. do now. That would be yeah. weeks, <laughs> weeks. Um, but yeah, if you do do that, then thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, Gold star. And if you've been a long time listener, don't forget to leave us a little review if you get a little if you get a chance. That would make our day. Preferably good reviews. No, we'd, we'd like to have constructive feedback, but uh, yeah, throw us a five if you think we're worthy. Yeah, for sure. We would love to hear from you. So until next time, have a great week ahead. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today.
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.